We are almost at the end of our study through the book of Luke. It has been awesome. I hope you've enjoyed digging into that a little bit. Uh, and just a little bit of a preview, we're going to come back and continue the series, The Gospel According to Luke. Uh, if you remember, Luke didn't just write the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. And we're going to come uh, through a, a much slower journey through the book of Acts. Uh, we'll start that later this summer. Uh, but I'm excited to continue seeing the full picture of the good news that we've received. Well, today, as we uh, come to almost the end of his gospel, I want you, first of all, to think, have you ever seen the, the challenges online where they have a, a big box and someone's standing behind it and they have to put their hands inside and they have to guess whatever they're feeling? You know, usually it's like, a hamster, <laughs> a stick, or you know, a, a rubber ball, you know, just some strange object inside the box. And usually there's like some fear, some hesitancy as they're getting ready to put their hands inside because they have no idea what they're about to touch. And they really start to question the level of their friendships. <laughs> like, what did my friend put inside here? So anyways, as they reach inside, there's this moment where you can see on their face, oh, I get it. I understand what I'm feeling. The, the senses are now becoming processed into understanding. It's not just what I'm feeling. It's now what I have come to understand. And it's a fun activity because it, it makes us move beyond what we sense and into what we understand. It moves from senses into comprehension. And it's so important for us as people who are created in the image of God to have understanding. Now granted, we won't have full understanding, but God has given us minds. He has given us the ability to reason and process and think. And I think that it's right and good for us to seek out understanding. And that's part of my hope today, that we would see God's plan in such a way that we aren't just memorizing facts. We aren't just looking for sensory experiences. Instead, I hope that we would be able to see what Jesus has done and think, wow, like, I get it now. It, it makes sense. I have understanding of what Jesus has done. And last week, if you recall, I, I showed this really cool piece of art where you had to be in a specific place in order to fully understand the beauty of it. Like if you walked into the room, you would see just a mass of these black balls hanging from the ceiling. But if you moved into a certain position in the room, all of the balls would move into alignment and you would see this beautiful picture of an eye. Nowhere else in the room would you see it in fullness, but when you moved into the right spot, you could have full understanding of the art that had been created. And similarly, for us to see the beauty of God's plan, we need to have a shift in our perspective. You know, we talked about how we need to move from doubter to doer, and we need to move from separated to saturated. And in Luke 24, 1 through 12 last week, we saw how the women at the tomb and Peter, they witnessed the empty tomb, but they didn't have full understanding. Now, in my mind, that's like they've reached into the box. They've begun to feel the object. They've seen that the tomb is empty, 
but they don't yet understand why. They don't yet comprehend what has happened. They don't understand how Jesus would bring fulfillment to the prophecies. And this is why we not only need a shift in perspective, we also need a shift in perception. Now, I know those words are really close together, so I want to just take a moment and separate them in our minds. In short, perspective simply means your point of view. It's the way that you see the world. And perception means your understanding. It's the why behind the way that you see the world. And John Maxwell, he says this. He says, perception controls perspective. Your understanding controls the way that you see the world. And we have to get our perception in right order so that we see the world properly. Now, just this week on Facebook, I was engaging with a friend of mine from high school, and she had made a post about how her kids are being raised just fine, not knowing that they're sinners, not knowing that Jesus was brutally murdered. And of course, she's living without the gospel, and she's raising her kids this way. And I tried to gently, because gentleness is our overflow challenge for the month, I tried to gently show her that there is another way to see what Scripture teaches, that it's not just Jesus was brutally murdered because God is angry at us, but instead God loves us enough that he sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for us. It's two entirely different perceptions that end up driving two entirely different perspectives. And for us to understand scripture appropriately, for us to understand why the tomb is empty, we have to have a shift in our perception. So as we study the text today, we need to look beyond the surface. And we're going to see how Jesus helped his disciples not only shift their perspective, but he helped them understand this new way of seeing the world around them. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one under your seat. And you know, Just as an aside, if you don't have a Bible or if you like this one better, this is our gift to you. We would love to give you uh, the Word of God. We think that's one of the most important things we can give people. So let's go ahead and begin in Luke 24. Verses 13 and 14. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And together they were discussing everything that had taken place. So this is picking up right where we left off last week. This is still Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And it has been quite an exciting morning. However, there are a ton of questions, there's a lot of confusion, and Luke picks up and begins essentially recording the travel log for two disciples who are right in the middle of all the uncertainty. And in just a little bit, we will learn that these two were actually with the other disciples as they heard the report from the women and from Peter, and they had no clue what to make of this information. They were just swimming in uncertainty. So they left. And we don't know why they were going to Emmaus. 
Maybe they were in fear for their lives and they were trying to get out of Jerusalem. Maybe they had some business to attend to. We, we don't really know. All that Luke tells us is that they began making this seven-mile journey. And as they made that probably four- to five-hour trek, they continued trying to make sense of all that had happened those past few days. So let's continue, verses 15 and 16. While they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't allow these two guys to recognize him? I mean, there was obviously a purpose behind this concealing like, is it because Jesus wanted them to continue on in a state of desperation? I don't think so. Did he want them to, to be stressed and confused? No. Was this some sort of maniacal power play? Absolutely not. Instead, God is using this concealment to bring these disciples into what I call a desert place. I was reading this week about how God uses these desert places in our lives. And, you know, those places, it's where you're in a state of almost ongoing suffering. Whether you're, you're confused, like you thought you would be someplace else, or you're just in despair, like, how did I get here? But in those desert seasons, we often see God most clearly. We hear his voice with the most certainty that we ever have. Uh, I want to read a, a quote. This is from A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, he says, God takes everyone he loves through a desert. It is his cure for our wandering hearts, restlessly searching for a new Eden. The first thing that happens is we slowly give up the fight. Our wills are broken by the reality of our circumstances. The things that brought us life gradually die. Our idols die for lack of food. The still dry air of the desert brings the sense of helplessness that is so crucial to the spirit of prayer. You come face to face with your inability to live, to have joy, to do anything of lasting worth. Life is crushing to you. Suffering burns away the false selves created by cynicism or pride or lust. You stop caring about what people think of you. The desert is God's best hope for the creation of an authentic self. Desert life sanctifies you. After a while, you notice your real thirsts. In the desert, we notice our real thirsts. We understand what we need the most, not just what the world has convinced us that we think we need. And if we look at Psalms, uh, David was in a literal desert place when he wrote these words in Psalm 63. He says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. And Jesus, he brought these two disciples through a desert place so that they could experience that desperation of thirsting for Jesus. 
And if he had just shown up and said, I'm back, <laughs> like they would have experienced a shift in perspective, but there would not be a shift in perception. They would have seen Jesus alive, but they wouldn't understand why yet. And Jesus, he knew what they needed. He knew that they needed to understand exactly why he had died, why he was buried, and why he was alive again. So let's continue on, verses 17 through 19. He asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. You see that desert place here. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So Jesus, he engages with these guys and, and he asks them, What are you arguing about? You know, that question itself was shocking. Like, the men were so confused. How could you not know what has been happening? You know, everyone in Jerusalem is in an uproar. You know, love him or hate him, everyone seems to have a strong opinion about Jesus. And even 2,000 plus years after these events, you don't have to look hard on social media to see an argument breaking out about who Jesus is. And here he is in the flesh, walking with these two men who have no idea who they're talking to. And as we consider what is required for someone to have a shift in perception, you first have to clarify what is currently understood. For us to have a shift in perception, we have to have a clear understanding of what we currently understand. We have to know the baseline. And it reminds me, when I've helped my kids with their math assignments, like they're all doing awesome in math, way better than I ever was. Uh, and I will often take them back to the original problem and I'll ask them to walk me through how they got to the answer they have written down. And usually along the way, as we go back to the beginning and we take it a step at a time, they can understand, oh, I got my numbers switched here. Or, oh, I added instead of subtracted or multiplied instead of divided. Like, it becomes clear as we go back to the beginning and just slowly understand what steps we've taken. And here, Jesus does the same thing. He asks them, what happened in Jerusalem? And so they unpack the events from the last few days, continuing on verses 19 through 24. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a, a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Now, did you notice how they described Jesus? They called him a prophet powerful in action and speech. 
And he was a prophet, but, but he was also much more than that. You know, they made it sound like Jesus was a victim of the religious and the governmental powers when Jesus himself said in John 10 that I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. He said, no one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. You know, they talked about how they hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. You hear the nationalistic focus here. They, they doubted, they questioned the testimony of the women and Peter. And as Jesus had them retrace what had happened, it became clear that their perspective was driving their perception. What they saw at face value was driving what they had understood, not the other way around as it should be. Similarly, we can find ourselves in the same position where our perception drives, I'm sorry, where our perspective drives our perception. And maybe you, you find yourself facing serious health concerns or deep financial need or the loss of a loved one. And you, you begin to question how God could be good and allow you to go through these circumstances. And if you currently find yourself in such a place, hear me say this with love and empathy, not as hard-hearted or unloving, but you may be looking at this with a short-sighted perspective. And you're certainly not alone in this. You know, I think this is natural and common for us to react such a way in these circumstances. But in your pain or your trials, you can become so focused on the present concerns that you lose sight of what God may be doing in the midst of it all. Sometimes we'll just stare and stare and stare at our present circumstances and we begin to believe that that is all there ever has been or will be. And that's what often happens when we put perspective in front of perception, when we let what we see drive our understanding, when we let our circumstances determine what we believe. Instead, as we'll see in the next section, we need to cling to God's big picture plan. We need to allow him to shape our understanding. And then, as we noted earlier, our perception will control our perspective. We will be able to see things rightly because we will have a greater understanding. Let's continue on, verses 25 through 29. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, can you imagine how incredible that must have been to have Jesus unpack the scriptures for you, to walk through the Old Testament writings and the prophets and say, that was me, that was me, that was about me too. Like just walking you, holding your hand through the Bible, showing you this is what it's all about. You know, we can see back in Genesis 3.15 even a picture of Jesus. He said, 
uh, God to the serpent. I will put hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed or your offspring and her seed or offspring, which is Jesus. And he will strike your head, picturing the victory in the resurrection, and you, the serpent, will strike his heel, the crucifixion. Or imagine Jesus walking you through the prophets where they predicted that Jesus would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that he would be called out of Egypt, he would be from Galilee, that he would be without sin, that he would perform miracles and teach in parables, how he would be despised and rejected, how he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, it, just imagine prophecy after prophecy after prophecy all being fulfilled in Jesus. He is the picture. He is what we're called to look through from every page in Scripture. He is the end point and the goal of it all. You know, I can only imagine the looks on these two disciples' faces as they begin to have this shift in understanding, that they finally begin to get it, that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't leading a failed military uprising. He was setting people free from the greatest enemy, sin and death. So what is your perception of Scripture? You know, do you read it as entertaining stories or as historical fiction or as moral lessons? Or do you approach it as God's unfolding work of redemption through Jesus? You know, do you understand that Jesus is the pinnacle? He is the ultimate focus of Scripture. Let that inform and shape the way that you approach the Bible. You know, it's not just a bunch of stories. The stories are true. And the stories, they point us to Jesus as our only hope. So do you understand that the writings of Moses, they showed us God's beautiful plan and expectation for living in right relationship with God? Do you understand that the history of Israel records how God doesn't give up on his people in spite of our own rebellion? Do you understand that the prophets pronounce justice and judgment on the nations to call people back to God's standard? And do you understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior, that his death was not an accident, that he was expected before creation itself, that his teachings were not just moral platitudes. Be sure to approach Scripture with the right perception, that it was written so you may know. If you remember what my dad read earlier, Luke wrote these words so that we may know, that we may have certainty of the things which you've been instructed. And as Jesus unpacked the true plan of God from generations before they ever came to pass, these two disciples wanted to know more and more. They wanted to, to remain with this stranger who suddenly brought sense and meaning to all of their doubts, to all of their questions. They wanted to know more, so they invited him to stay with them. In verses 30 through 32, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So there at the table, the disciples finally understood who was with them. And to be clear, this, this isn't Jesus just recreating the Lord's Supper. You know, it's close in the scripture, so our mind might think this is a, a Lord's Supper recreation. But the disciples here weren't with him in that meal. So this is more likely Jesus pointing back to when he multiplied the bread and the fish to the 5,000. You know, it's more likely that these two disciples, maybe their first encounter with Jesus was at that miracle as he multiplied the fish and the loaves. Now, regardless, as Jesus broke the bread, their eyes were opened. They understood that it was Jesus who was with them, and then he disappeared. And when he vanished, these two disciples, they were no longer fearful or downcast or, or focused on the trials in front of them. Instead, they had a new driving force. They had a new perspective that was driven by a new perception. They knew that Jesus was alive, that he had fulfilled the prophecies, and they knew that everyone needed to know about it. So the final verses here, 33 through 35. That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now this new understanding, this new perception, it not only gave them a new perspective, it also gave them new marching orders. And that's the final piece of shifting our perception that we'll look at today. We carry out our marching orders. When we have understanding, we know why we are to go. So they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. And remember, this is a four to five hour journey in the dark with dangers galore, including wild animals and robbers and rough terrain and exhaustion from a long day of travel already. But none of that mattered to them. They knew that they had to tell the others what they now understood. They were no longer confused or concerned that the grave was empty because they had met Jesus. They knew that he was alive and they understood that they had to tell others. And friends, that's still true today. The grave is still empty. Jesus is still the only one to fulfill the prophecies. And salvation is only found in him. So what do we do with this perception? What do we do with this understanding? Does it inform the way that we view our trials and our circumstances? Is it possible that God is allowing us to go through a desert place so that we see him clearly and follow him wholeheartedly? Does it inform the way that we understand God's big picture plan? Do we read and understand scripture in light of Jesus? Or do we just believe that it's a bunch of good stories? Does it inform the way that we live? Do we march according to our new orders? 
Does it motivate us to share the good news with our neighbors and our coworkers, with our family and friends? Do we make decisions based off of our understanding of the gospel and the reality of coming judgment? We have to have our lives driven by right understanding of God and his plan. Jesus has come and he has made a way to be saved. It's only by his blood that we can be washed and made as white as snow. And we need to live lives that are shaped according to that. Because we're not just reaching into the box and guessing at what we're feeling or experiencing. We have the scripture to help us understand. We have brothers and sisters who come alongside us and help us walk through the difficult seasons. We have a gift of knowing why Jesus has come. And we need to take that to the people around us. Let's take a moment and pray. And then we'll have our overflow challenge and head out for the day. Father, I I do thank you that you have not left us in the dark. I thank you that you have a plan from eternity past that you decided to come and bear the weight of our sins by living among us, living in, in full perfection all of your days, by going to the cross that you didn't deserve so that we could be forgiven and free in you. And Father, I pray as we have understanding of what you have done, let it motivate us. As we walk through the difficulties and the desert places in our lives, let us cling to you. I pray that we would be faithful to what you've called us to, that we would read your word and understand it in accordance with your plan. And I pray that we would be sent out as people who have been transformed by your love. Use us to build your kingdom, to push back the gates of hell here in South Kansas City. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.